on today's episode of the Expand Your Ability podcast. Like the general public probably thinks more of things like why you do that because you're motivated to do something. Um, and I would explain it somehow a bit differently. Like you do something because a behavior in your past had a good outcome, a good consequence. And so when you have that environment, that contextual situation again, you will do that behavior again. Like you're more likely to try this thing again because it worked in your past. And of course, there are negative out outcomes as well. So if you have some negative experiences with a behavior in a certain context, then you might um, refrain from doing that. Welcome to the Expand Your Ability podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Schwinghammer. On today's episode, we have on Caroline Ritter. She has a background in studying behavioral economics, philosophy, and cognitive science. She is now in her third year of her Feldenkrais training program. In our conversation today, we talk about a lot of things, from acquiring new knowledge about ourselves, our habits, and our perception, to living and being curious with ourselves, to positive reinforcement and how our social context affects us. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Caroline Ritter. Welcome, Caroline. How are you? Hi, I'm very well today. Thanks for inviting me. Been really looking forward. <laughs> awesome. It's good to have you. Um, yeah, so we're talking about knowledge generation today. Yes. What do we mean by knowledge generation? Um, I was thinking about knowledge generation a lot. Like, um, because I'm, I'm really uh, interested in the topic of learning in general. So when I came to Feldenkrais training, we talked a lot about the self-image. And I was thinking, okay, how, how does my self-image influence what I'm learning and how I'm getting knowledge? And then also, um, how do I actually... Um, build my knowledge system like how do I build my self-image with which I can perceive the world okay yeah um, self-image is like a topic a term we've used a lot on this podcast um, what, what how would you describe what is a self-image uh, I always uh, say that phrase it's like the lens with which we uh, look at the world so um, our self-image is dynamic, of course. Like we, we all experience changes in how we, we look at things. Sometimes we are in a good mood. Sometimes we are in a bad mood. And depending on that, we perceive the world differently. So I think it's very much a thing that we can develop. We can also look at our patterns, how we perceive things. So, um, how do we look at the world? Hmm. Right, because how you look at the world changes what you see. Is that what you mean? Yes. <laughs> um, I have to think about that a bit. <laughs> sure. Hmm. I'm thinking also that like 
it's not exactly like we always use that metaphor of seeing, of course, like we, we look at the world, we, we go uh, for different perspectives, different viewpoints, and sometimes it's much more of a um, whole body experience. And we sometimes really leave out the other senses when we look at the world, look at the world, when we feel the world or when we get in contact with the world. Like, um, for example, when we uh, obtain some cognitive knowledge, like facts from a textbook, then it's looking at a text. And that's such a different experience than when you look at the world and are immersed in some kind of context and you use all of your senses, your hearing, your, your sense of touch and your sense of smell. And that's such a different um, way of gaining knowledge. Hmm. Yeah, knowledge, right? Because like <laughs> when when I grew up, knowledge was <laughs> what you got out of textbooks. It was right what the teacher told you, and you're using knowledge in a kind of broader way here. Yes, like I I definitely think there is like. Uh, also nonverbal knowledge that of course we don't speak so much about because it's nonverbal so it's all that we, <laughs> we do somehow like our movement skills and um, yeah maybe also how we regulate our feelings and stuff like that like it's not all in the language it's not all in the talking and it's not all in the facts so I think there is a lot of um, thoughts and sensing that we do without using language and without using language also means that we are more in the gradient like we are more in between things and not like it's not a one or zero like with with language when we talk about something somehow it's starting to be in some way dead or not dynamic anymore because like it's somehow pinpointed and it's like stopped the movement is stopped like this is it, this is the fact, and this is how I'm going to think about it from now. So sometimes not uh, naming something can help in just like being open to things, being open to experiences and to yeah. know knowledge with that. So. Yeah, being in the gradients. You're, no, you're not in the conclusion of one thing or the other, naming it, but you can actually be in this open space of n no conclusion uh, kind of experiencing, or I like the word unfolding something's yeah. emerging or changing in movement. And, and that's something that comes out of the, the Feldenkrais work in particular. Yes. I think also this thing that you can be interested in even smaller details, like you think, okay, I'm, there is like, I don't know, a thousand different lessons from Moshe and we can do all those lessons and then we did it, then we are like done. So what's what's behind that? But mm -hmm. of course you can get interested in just like your big toe or your knee moving and it can fill the whole life because when you start not naming it, when you don't refer to the knees movements as going left and right and up and down and all that you have words for, but like create everything that's in between and like build a language of your own, like the language of your knee can be helpful to like zoom in really and really go deep in something and like 
go beyond what we can like it's it's for me it's hard because i'm i'm a, like a, i'm a generalist like i'm interested in so many things and i'm just yeah I, i'm looking in into one topic and i'm like yeah that's so interesting and then i go off to the next one but sometimes like going over that border and really like going behind and, and looking deeply that somehow some sometimes it's hard for me but this is like for me that's a, a door to that that is a door to that a door to zooming in on the details zooming in on the details right so i i <laughs> I feel like uh, you're in, you're in good company. I'm also a journalist. I have a lot of expansive interests, yeah. and um, and so so we can develop knowledge about ourselves. I, I like that, like uh, developing your own language of how your knee moves. Um, I was teaching a lesson recently about the arches of the feet and how that can create a, a spiral in the legs. And it's like, well, the knees aren't just hinges, right? That was one of the points that came up in the class and what they were exploring is like, oh, there's more to the knee than just a straight hinge. Right? There's a lot going on that we can sense. And so, yeah, I think that's really great that you're putting it as knowledge generation, right? That we can learn about ourselves. And what is, take, take us further. What, is, what does it mean when we develop this knowledge? Um, yeah, I mean, another, like way you can look at it is not looking at knowledge as something you own or you get and then you have but uh, think of knowing as a verb and a continuous process and something that lets you do things because there is that famous quote from Moshe where he says like I see and I forget I hear and I remember and I do and I understand and I really think that's true like when you do when you can apply a knowledge then you really understand it and then it's useful and it's functional. And I think that's also how we assess the knowledge, like the ability to, to do something with it. So I, I think that's, that's a point. And also when we talk about knowing instead of knowledge, then we think about it as more of a dynamic, more of a process oriented thing rather than something with, a goal like you get the knowledge and then what but knowing and being in in the process of knowing will just get you further it's like walking you will just keep on walking mm. and with every other hill you walk on you will see further so yeah you know when i read different things or i, I learn from different people one of the things that like like I'm always looking for what what are the overlapping principles? What what connects this mm -hmm. domain or this teaching with this other teaching? And what are the ones that are really in commonality that I think feel more true? And one of the things is that noun versus verb. Like there's something there that is so different, I think, than our classic way of knowing, at least in my corner of North America, that this uh, knowing, having nouns and having objects versus verbs and, and and kind of the flow of that it reminds me of the image of like you can't step in the same river twice yes and, like, and you can you can't read yeah. the same book twice so yeah every time right. you 
you go to the same thing, you will look at it in a different angle with different experiences in your yeah. chest. Right. There's different experiences inside and different experiences outside, too. I mean, it's more obvious in a river than perhaps the book. The book is maybe more us in a way, but still, there's, yeah. there's still time. The whole, the whole image changes, right? Like, and we can go back to the same awareness through movement lesson time and time again and find something new, right? Because yes. moment by moment, we're always changing in some way. And so I really like that image of like knowledge, like, cause knowledge is like conclusions again. Like you here, I have the thing, I have it. I, I have the, the idea. And, and you're pointing us to like knowing, working with it, acting with it. How is it practical? Yeah. And then you also have this uh, attribute of that it's dynamic, that it's in flux, like you said, with the river, that you really have to um, work also to keep it. You have to apply it and you hold. You can think of it as a relationship. You have a relation with your knowledge or with, with, with the things you know something about. And if you think about another person, like they change and you change mm -hmm. and you if you want to keep up a friendship, you have to invest time and attention and you have to um, hold that relation and always come mm. to it in a new way and meet them new. Um, that knowledge is also a thing that you have to share. If you're isolated and sit in your room and read your book and you have all those facts in your head, what does it help you? Like if you, if you don't at least go outside and apply it or share your knowledge with somebody else and like get different perspectives it will probably not be that useful right in an information rich environment like our modern day world with the internet like we and and <laughs> yeah. libraries upon books and you know books and books like we can we can be a storehouse for information that is kind of stagnant we can think we've got all these great things, but if we're not creating with it, we're we're missing kind of the second step of learning. Definitely, and yes. Conversations are a great way to have that yeah. second step. Yeah. Um, there is also another analogy I thought about, um, which is if you have your knowledge system, it can be thought of as something like a building. So... Maybe you have a very rigid building, but then you are, I guess, pretty closed-minded because if you turn out, if you take out something from that building, it will fall down because it's so rigid. But mm. if you have a more flexible building that will somehow bend, yes, maybe it's it's not that stable. Like it can be like somebody pushes it and like it it boggles a bit around or wobbles and and but like taking something out, putting something back in. It's like, it's more of a, yeah, it's, it's, it's more fragile maybe, but also more open to change. Mm. So what does this look like to, in practice, in, in acting, like how, how does one work with their knowledge generating or their knowledge system? What does that mean for you exactly? Um, 
Well, I can tell a bit about my, how I came to that conclusion, maybe, because I think that's kind of everybody comes to their conclusions in a different way. So um, I'm just going to share my story. Um, I got really interested in philosophy in high school and like kept on reading and went even further down the rabbit hole. And at some point I was like, ah, they are just always talking about things. It's not even concrete. And then I, I, I got rid of all the philosophy stuff and I was like, okay, now I'm going to go into science. I'm going to go read about natural science because at least that's telling you something about the world and it's like facts. It's not so metaphysical maybe. Um, but then again, it's like it's in the application. And if you don't, even if you learn about a, a, lot, of, a lot about the world, it doesn't really help you in applying stuff. So um, I found that application in the end uh, in training animals like I was always living with animals and uh, I think I really got into um, positive animal training forestry methods um, I think 12 years ago around that time and I read up on the science behind it I, I got a lot into like behavior analysis and stuff like that and um, that really helped me to have a transition from a really scientific, um, yeah, or, or scientific principles and apply them in real life. And I thought that was that's that's how, somehow how you can do something with the knowledge, like always find a way to use what you have, and even if it's just like in a conversation, as we have, like now I can enjoy philosophy again. <laughs> because somehow it's, it's all in the middle. But um, yeah, I think, I think suddenly looking at the thing from different angles, applying it, sharing it, and being able to look for the details. Like if you are, um, you are looking at things like in 100 different ways, then you will always find one more. Like there is no limit to going deeper, I guess. So, yeah, I I think we can also talk about curiosity here because that's also something that's um, related to that. How to build curiosity and how to to go deeper and stay with something and be curious. Right. Because I be think yeah, yeah, I think we we. Or, yeah. um, I think that we like in our educational system like the normal schools like we have in the western world at least are very much oriented towards like okay stuffing in facts and don't get don't leave a lot of time where, where things can sediment and there is not a lot of room for application but also not a lot of room for um using it for yourself because yes you can have exercises you can apply it and somebody tells you how to apply it but still is it a functional knowledge for you like can you use it yeah. does it make sense for you does it have meaning or relevance so i think that's that's something that we need to to encourage more that we 
um, install a meaning in the knowledge we create or we want others to to get and i think that's why we are asking so many questions in the atms sometimes like it's more of a um a pathway or a guiding towards your own answers and not statements right yeah there's something there using it for yourself right that that is um takes you the classic school system that we have that kind of using facts that other people think are important and do you really get to test them out for yourself um a, a common phrasing i've heard is you know tools or uh, resources that you can develop through somatic movement or feldenkrais uh, that you you these become tools for you and i and I, I could really feel that when you said you know how can you use it for yourself you know test out the practical application that like the idea is something that you should be like testing out you should be working on it and like okay does is this a good idea all right let me see you know let me here's a situation i'm working with a horse or an animal or with a person here's something does it work and then you can see it over many many iterations right it's the trying here trying there and it's maybe it's not so intuitive at times because it's so it's like sometimes it can be, oh, it's just an idea but it's not something it's not as obvious as if you actually had a tool perhaps right we might not be guided to think oh here's here's this wrench will it work here well, yeah it, how does and that I, feel I, for you? I, yes yes i i just had another idea um that also relates to this um that we of course we test things out we try them they are good or bad or turn out uh, effective for us and then we hold on to them and we don't let go anymore because we are so proud of them somehow and it works so well so we don't we don't want to forget what we know and I think that's also sometimes something that is in our way because like forgetting is not the same as never knowing. So it's somewhere mm. like you have to trust sometimes that you knew things and they come back and you can tap into them again. Like you don't have to have everything on the top of your head. But in the right moment, it will just emerge again. Right. And I, I remember like one time in our training, I think that was the first one of the first days of our training. And Donna Ray said, like, think of the things you already forgot from the training. And we were like all very <laughs> like, oh, my God, we forgot so much. And we were really unsure. And uh, but over the years, it, it feels now that it's you can really trust yourself and you can trust your bodily memory more than you can trust your verbal memory i would say or you can trust in your body or your your whole whole mind which is more than your brain obviously um to bring back the memory through the context through the environment and that the the memory will come back in the right moment right that's uh, really important for me to hear. 
<laughs> because yeah. that's something uh, that still dogs me a little bit is the desire to to not forget. And that's part of the process is that, you know, we some things will be clear again. So, you know, what emerges, what emerges uh, to be kind with myself as I go from moment to moment. And because there's like an absolute like creativity um, that comes out, too that is also new because it's not just applying what you've learned. It's also like the other person is in that, you know, in that lesson or whatever is, or the conversation is it's, it's a, it's a dance together, right? It's we're making something yes. together and, and I don't just apply the past, you know, wholesale. Here's, here's the thing here, but it's through, you know, working together that, you know, what comes forward comes forward. Yeah, you're making a future somehow, or you're making the presence, the present. Yeah. Yeah. You you were saying earlier about um, in awareness through movement, we ask a lot of questions. How is how is the structure of awareness through movement really helpful for knowledge generation? For learning by yourself. I think from from the teacher's perspective, like how I how I, I I teach it and I try to teach is it not is not to take anything away from the the eureka moments of the person. Like you want to guide them, you want to create a learning environment, but you don't want to tell them what to experience or what revelation to have hmm. because it's it's something that's actually the best part that you you do a lesson you think like okay i'm just like moving my foot a bit from the left to the right and then suddenly you're like whoa that's something and you don't want anybody to tell you that you want reassurance so it's nice if you can like um say the thing after some time, like when you feel like everybody got it, then you you somehow you re reveal what it is, what everybody already, um, yeah, experienced. So you might say like I don't know, you're 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 pushing your foot into the floor, and then your the movement trust travels up to your head, and your head starts to roll and. Then when you see everybody rolling the head and you can say like, yeah, it's somehow it's traveling up your spine and your head is rolling. And yeah, so I think, yeah, a lot of it's, it's a very, um, you have to be very careful as a teacher. I mean, not, not um, really, um, I mean, careful is maybe the, the wrong word, but you have to be very sensitive to your students that how you are, um, making that learning happening is it's more of a setting them up for success than actually giving them instructions and setting I think them up creating a space where it's nice to make yeah where it's nice to make explorations and come to your own conclusions that's probably the best part right come to your own conclusions because it's so like <laughs> 
because it, like everyone is an absolute individual in the class. Yeah, everyone shares a skeleton, a nervous system, muscles. Everyone has their own, and they're alike, for sure. And everyone has decades of their own experience that shapes their body and shapes their movement. And so, yeah, we need to ask people questions more so than directions or like, oh, you you should feel this, you should feel that. Like, I I have no way of knowing exactly what everyone's going to feel. And so the best way is to direct people into their own experience to, hey, find out for yourself. Is this true? What's going on here? Is that what's what is this for you? What do you notice? Yeah. And then to, you know, gently kind of find a way to, okay, what, what overlaps between everyone? Okay. Is everyone sensing something? Yeah. Pressing the foot. Does the head roll, right? Oh, what, what can we do with that? And I, I have a, a group of people at my um, local community senior center and like they're very talkative people. And so that we're all sharing during the lesson and it's an awesome experience because like someone would be like, oh, my arm just got a lot heavier and a lot longer. And the other person's like, well, my other arm feels this way. And you know, this person's like, well, my head rolls a little these. And then just people are just chip, chipping in. And, and it really sets the stage or the, the, the feeling that like, hey, we're all in this together. And it's okay if I'm a little bit different. It's okay. Yeah. Whatever yeah. I'm experiencing is good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like I'm, I'm currently giving um, awareness for movement lessons like one-on-one -on -one because I, I'm not allowed yet to do the functional integration. So I'm like doing a verbal instruction with people alone. And that's also like, that's a conversation. And I really like that also. Like you are just like talking about it. But then also um, I like it also maybe if you, if you don't talk about it so much. Like it's also nice sometimes, um, especially when you when you practice functional integration, to not name everything. I mean, language right. is very potent in coming back to an experience. And if you like want to name it, you can easily remember it and get yourself into it again. But it, uh, leaving it open is so potent as well. So mm. sometimes I like when I when I practice when when I have a friend over for RFI. And we just do our stuff. And sometimes we just, after that, we just leave it and we don't talk about it. Right. Yeah. It's, do you do some other reflection? I mean, it, it can be so attractive to like, oh, if we do talk about it, we can put it into words and maybe understand it. But if we leave it open, mm -hmm. there's actually more there than we can kind of pack into word boxes. How, how do you reflect on your experience? Yeah. Or is it something that you had the experience and good, and move on? It'll be with me in some way. Yeah, I think if, yeah, I think with FI it's much easier if, if you work with somebody one-on-one -on -one because then you have the information in your hands. Like you felt it. You, you followed the movement. There is much more immediate feedback. So you see what works, you see what feels good or what, yeah, what, what does something and you see the reaction of the other person or you see what comes out of your contact. In a group class, of course, I would probably always go for 
a sharing of experience because I think everybody can profit from sharing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Absolutely. it's hard because we are such wobble, uh, <laughs> such a wobble species. So it's hard to to not go and talk about it. But yeah, yeah, stay. And we're with on a verbal platform right here <laughs> as a, as a yes. podcast, as a conversation. <laughs> yeah, we have to we we have to put in words to talk about it, or you know, sure. talking about it is yes. good. And then there's something so not verbal that is so important, right? I mean, oftentimes in a in a lesson where I'm on, on the floor, I'm I'm the student. I, I just don't have words. Like words would be too slow or too it would take some time to like chisel out what is the right word for this experience or the right phrasing. Right? And it, and it's yeah, being in that flow of that sensation, that experience. Yeah. There was one thought that I had, but I forgot it. Ah. <laughs> I'm well. I'm sure it'll come back. Uh, I'm curious if um, you would share a little bit about working with animals. You said you went from uh, philosophy to science, and then you wanted to apply the science, and then you were working with animals, and then you came to Feldenkrais eventually. What what is what was it like to take what you were learning and apply them and play with them in the context of working with animals? Um, well, I, I started uh, getting in contact with Feldenkrais. I was at the workshop uh, in Italy and we had a ATM lesson every day. It was a, a really cool workshop about positive animal training and I don't know, I, I, I learned so much of how to give the animal space, like to, to um, ask what is possible for you, how do you make all the environmental arrangements that you can see a behavior happening from the animal that you can then reinforce, um, giving time for rest, for pause. There were just so many principles that I, like I didn't apply really to myself. Of course, I was thinking about how is positive reinforcement like happening in my life and like why am I doing things just by analyzing the contingencies and the consequences of my behavior and seeing the patterns and everything. But I think I never had that real conversation with my body or I was more thinking about, okay, when I'm going to move, I either do it for a goal, like for a purpose, because I want something, I get something, or I do it as exercise to have more of an, I don't know, gaining strength or having an aesthetic outcome. Um, And then it's much more of a command to the body, like something that I would not use in animal training. In animal training now I talk about cues, which is like an opportunity for behavior. And it's not like, okay, if you don't do it, then you will get something something bad. Um, and that really was a, a, a revelation to me to get into that conversation with yourself and your body to ask, okay, can you lift the shoulder here or is it better here? Or how can you, 
how would it actually be possible to do that? And maybe if you are not able to do that, if it doesn't feel good, then why not go like a lot of steps back? And also um, splitting up things. Like in animal training, you you split up the behavior into smaller parts and you see, okay, I'm going to take this part, I'm going to do this variation. I'm also generalizing it to a lot of different contexts and going slow and every different context is something new. And I'm going to uh, see how it translates to the new context. Maybe I have to start all over again and it's just something completely different. It needs to be learned just from zero um yeah and uh, it took me so long like compared to like i started with dogs then i um it even took me like five years to apply it to my horses the positive work and because i always thought like ah oh, it's too much work it's too maybe too effortful can i really do it a horse is bigger than a dog and stuff like that like there are all kinds of excuses and then finally now i'm at my own self and applying those things really um being gentle with myself and like asking questions and not inferring anything and most importantly i think is not labeling stuff like not telling myself okay this was bad you're lazy you're i don't know not maybe not even going too deep into emotional labels because sometimes it's uh we just like we put a label on things and then it's like it's done it's it's categorized we can put it away sometimes it's helpful to regulate our emotions but if you mm -hmm. want to stay with the experience and if you want to analyze it and like feel it like see what's around you and see what's why you are triggered or why why this came up and maybe it's maybe it's maybe you're just hungry so <laughs> It's it's a lot of different things that it can influence you. So <laughs> yeah, not not inferring anything too soon. Right, not inferring is kind of jumping to a conclusion. Right, it's it's oh this is what it is as opposed to that openness we were talking about. Um, earlier you mentioned positive reinforcement uh, that you were discovering in your life and how mm -hmm. like oh. Like, this is how, you know, <laughs> you think of positive reinforcement with an animal and training, and, and then also it's like playing out in your life. Would you, I, I think that's really insightful. I mean, would you share more about that? What does, what does that look like for us humans? <laughs> Where do we find positive sure. reinforcement? Um, well, I think like we think, I think we think more as like, um, like the general public probably thinks more of things like why you do that because you're motivated to do something mm. um, and I would explain it somehow a bit differently like you do something because a behavior in your past had a good outcome a good consequence and so when you have that uh, environment that contextual situation again like the cues from your environment again and you you had that consequence that's how you learn you will do that behavior again like you're more likely to try this thing again because it worked in your past and of course there are negative out outcomes as well so if you have some negative experiences with a behavior in a certain context then you might um, refrain from doing that and yeah so I, I was thinking like how 
how are all my things like why just why am i doing stuff like why what are the things that that i like to do and why do i like to do them and it's because they gave me joy either through external um consequences like external motivation somebody would say like somebody gave you money and and internal motivations would be something that's like you're doing from the inside because you have a passion for it but i think like also that passion at first might have been externally reinforced so a lot of the times it's coming from the outside and then at some point you do it because you're um yeah you you found a lot of different consequences that you like for the thing you do and it's more of a broader thing and that's why you are not so dependent anymore on like somebody giving you money for something for example Mm -hmm. and i think if you have more of this inner motivation then you are more in control of the reinforcers i think that's that's somewhere where you can draw the line between internal or intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivations that you have control over the reinforces when it's internal like you do something and by doing that you get the outcome like i'm i'm i don't know i'm i'm making cake i can do i know how to make the cake so i'm getting the cake i'm not dependent on somebody giving me cake for whatever behavior it's dependent upon yeah well that's like the maturation process right we move out of just strictly the conditions that shaped us into we kind of choose what we want and choose like okay well this part of my conditioning is not so great so i'm going to choose this and i'm going to condition myself over time i'm going to choose i'm going to i'm going to play a hand in being the environment that shapes me and I'm going to continue to shape myself. It's still, it's a little, it's still abstract, but it's, it's you take charge of your life in a sense, and how you learn going forward. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Like it's, it's always somehow your environment shaping you, and of course you can't influence like all, all the outcomes you will get. Like you can't control other people, but you can. You can change everything that's somehow in your control and then you can have a better outcome. And sometimes like we do in ATMs or in, in, in FI that it's sometimes it's nice to have a constraint because it's, it's bringing out different things. And right. also if you are in a situation where you can't control everything, it might be nice and you can learn from that. Right. Yeah, in this framing that you have here, it's it's very emotionally sort of neutral. It's it's not dramatic, right? That that okay. I had this experience. I was reinforced in this way. Oh, uh, I I like these things. Uh, I had this environment. I, I like these things. I continue to like these. Right? It, it's sort of like it has such a nice um, simplicity of it because I, I think when we take stories about our past right because you could also frame it in a, in a more emotional story like you know when i was growing up my parents acted this way 
and they i got my needs met this way but i didn't get them met this way and, and i didn't i didn't like this and i didn't like that and you know and i'm spending a lot of time right now with you know my parents in the past year i i i, I see i can see more clearly how they are and what that must have been like for a younger me and sometimes like that stings a bit or i don't like that so much or like, like the awareness is so there's a little burning quality with awareness. Oh, they're like, oh, I get it. Wow. And then also it's just like straight up information. Of course. Of course. Oh, man. Of course I'm this way because I spent this time with these people and I went to this school. Of course. Of course, you know, that I relate to knowledge generation, you know, in this way. Or I want to get facts or I want to learn things. I want to you know, perform for tests, right? Like it plays on my behavior in all these different ways, right? Of course, I've been shaped. And, but that's not the end of the story, right? We can continue to learn and reshape. And I like that. It's just like, okay, how have I been reinforced? And yeah, it's, it's good or bad. For me, it's, it's giving somehow a bit of peace because it's like things happen because there is a long history behind them and it's not because somebody made in an instant an intentional choice to be bad to you or something or say something really bad but there is a learning history behind it and people reinforce that person for saying exactly that thing to others in a good or bad way um and it's a bit like i can be more empathic by that to other humans or but also other animals um if i say like okay it's not a it's not a mean behavior or they are not being they are not trying to be mean to me they are just like doing what worked for them in a previous context so it's not me it's it's just like what they learned and how they were shaped and yeah i i just think that's very peaceful very peaceful maybe even stoic <laughs> kind of seeing seeing the world but yeah absolutely but still like behavior is plastic like we don't we sometimes we think like okay we have a habit that's fixed and we are that way we have a personality or a character but um at least in, in the feldenkrais bubble we we i think acknowledge that there is change happening and Really, I, I've seen behaviors switch so rapidly if, if you just change a bit of the context. And it's so nice to, to just also have that reassurance that, okay, you just change a bit of the context, you change a bit of the relationship between things, and then a new behavior emerges because that one is not useful anymore. Mm. Yeah. Do you have an example of a radical change? That you've observed of a radical change <laughs> um, well i think like I, I i was i was giving a talk about habit change once i mean that's not an example directly of of a of a, of a radical change but like um how would you change a habit so that it's that it will last you would you would see um, in which context you're doing that behavior. For example, let's take smoking. And you're always smoking. Like last thing of your day, you're um, having a cigarette on the balcony. And 
So when's the best time to stop that? Maybe if you go on vacation, you don't have a balcony, maybe. <laughs> or you are not, It's maybe it's cold and you don't want to go outside and stuff like that. So there are some, some things in your new environment, in your new situation that prevent that. Maybe you don't even have time because after your day you spend, I don't know, dinner with your friends and there is no real point where you go out and have smoke. Um, and then you can try and establish a new ritual or a new contingency in that new environment. So you also have to look at the functions when you analyze behavior. You can always say, okay, what, why, do, why do you do it? What, what do you feel? How do you feel afterwards? Like what, what's getting you? Why, why is it getting you there? And for this, it could be like unwinding, like reflecting your day. Uh, maybe it's even also um, like the, the sensory experience and like having something in your mouth, maybe. So there's a lot of aspects to it and you have to somehow replace at least some of them and put them on a new, like give, a, give an alternative behavior more or less to get to the same outcome. So if you want to unwind and reflect, maybe do it with your partner, maybe do it by journaling or, um, yeah, and, and maybe like if, you, if you're smoking, for example, to be in a social context or you're smoking in a social context mainly, then try to have a conversation, like have, have the same social um, feedback or the same context without the smoke. So yeah, I think thinking of functions like how we do how we do a movement and how you can do it differently. For example, if you're doing a movement in pain and but you don't have another way to doing it, then you have to find that way first. And then probably it's easier to do that movement, not in the same context. Like if you're if you have back pain while you're standing up and you're always standing up from your desk the same way that's going to be hard but if you go somewhere else and stand up from a different chair it's going to be easier to translate that right because that points to how our environment is so influential in our experience mm -hmm. that changing the environment is such a big piece in itself or changing the yes. the verb what you know whether it's smoking or what you know whatever it is that, what, that taking that action somewhere else or changing out that action for something new and and doing it in such a way that you're curious about like what what is could be revealed here in terms of what do I need right now or how is this helpful for me and, and then then you can have a more clear step of like okay I'm going to replace this I'm going to try this and then you know with that openness we've been talking about it's like that might not work out so I'll have to do it again and again and 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 kind of find it. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm also not a huge fan of willpower or getting into a new mindset with willpower alone because that's actually that's the hardest thing. I think if you can set up yourself for success too, then that's that's really cool. And like also if you fail to succeed because like one context really is so binding for you then just be patient with yourself and like excuse yourself and like acknowledge that this is like the worst context to apply the new learning 
then so so be it. Like you don't have to do it everywhere from from once. So yeah. Well, very cool, Caroline. Thank you so much for coming on and <laughs> sharing your wisdom, sharing your experience. Um, thank you so much. I'm curious, how can people learn more about what you do? Um, yeah, where can they follow you? Yeah, um, I think I'm mainly active on Instagram. So my handle is Flora Fauna Feldenkrais. Like with a, it's Flora Fauna and then a, a how is that line called? The bottom line. Oh, uh, the underscore? Yeah. Okay. So my handle is Flora Fauna underscore Feldenkrais on Instagram. And I'm also on threads since two days or so. Um, I'm on Facebook um, with my normal name, Caroline Ritter. Um, but I'm not so active there. I have a website, which is www.feldenkrais.wien um, Yeah, I have weekly or um, I have monthly online classes that I announce on my newsletter and also on my Instagram. So you can chime in anytime and try something out. I'm also I have an upcoming course for horse people um, where we will explore some of the things some of the principles that are important for positive force training on ourselves like experience such things like positive reinforcement and the power of the pause and stuff like that on ourselves i'm really looking forward to that awesome very cool uh, i'll make sure that's all in the show notes uh, so people can find you yeah, and maybe one thing, one other thing, like I have a, a project where I promote the positive training with horses, and that's called uh, Disco Cavallo. And that will be like, that's also on Instagram and, and has a website. Awesome. Well, I know there's a lot more for us to talk about in yes. the future. So I look forward <laughs> to having another conversation with you. This was, this was really great. Um, it's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you want to learn more about Caroline, go to the show notes and you can find her links there. Also, you'll find links to my newsletter and my offerings there as well. So if you're interested in working with me, please check it out. Just like we brought up in this conversation, having conversations is really important for taking what we're learning and understanding it better and sharing it and bringing it into the world. So I recommend, I invite you to take what you heard today, some piece of it perhaps, and share it with a friend or a loved one. What did, what was interesting? What was surprising? What gave you an aha? And share that with someone and see how they relate to the ideas. My final question for you today is... In this episode, we talked about building a knowledge system, learning about ourselves and our habits and our preferences, and that we're a changing, growing, evolving person, so our knowledge system evolves too. And awareness through movement is a way of doing that. So I'm curious, what is your way of learning about yourself? How do you 
understand yourself more clearly over time. What processes, what activities, what type of reflection, perhaps, helps you in that? Well, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email at jeffrey at expandyourability.com. It's in the show notes. Love to hear from you what you think. All right. Thank you for your attention.